In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, our reading from Genesis this morning begins with a well-known verse, and it's a verse that I think speaks something very true about what it means to be human. This verse says, It is not good for man to be alone. Man needs to live in community. A solitary existence is not good. God has intended for man to have fellowship. Even the Greek philosopher Aristotle says that man is a political animal. That is, man is meant to live in a polis, a city, a town, a community. Man is meant to work together with one another for the good of each other. We're designed not to be lonely creatures, but we're designed to have community. Right, so in Genesis chapter 2, what we see is that God wants man to have a helper as a partner. And the word helper in Genesis 2 is important. You might remember the old King James word, help me, a helpmate. Right? It's more than a companion, but a helper. And we don't want to hear that word helper as someone subservient to man. A helper implies something else. A helper implies someone who has skills and strengths and abilities to provide help. This is not only to share in the man's responsibilities in the garden here in Genesis 2, but the helper is to come to the man's rescue, to help him obey the law that he's to follow, to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This partner that God is going to create is not meant to be less than the man. No, the partner is to walk with the man in paradise and to enjoy with him all that's there, to enjoy living in the full presence of God. And so we see in Genesis 2 that the first attempt to find a helper for the man, God brings animals to him. And he lets the man sort the animals out and name them. And among the animals, there's no suitable helper. Right? I'm quite sure that there were useful animals, there were entertaining animals, there were beautiful animals, but among them, there was no helper. And why is that? Well, the man who was able to name and sort them was dominant over them. Right? These animals were not his equals. They were not his spiritual and intellectual equals. They were less than him. And so there were no animals that were going to reason with the man, no animal that's going to share the joy of living in God's presence with him. There's no animal that's going to help him keep God's law. So God creates out of man another human to be the helper as a partner. This one he forms not out of the dust like he formed Adam, but right out of the man's rib. And again, this isn't about subservience. This new human, the female, is not less than a man because she was taken out of his rib, but rather she shares with him she shares life with him. She is his very own flesh. She is a partner. Now she is the one capable of sharing with the man the full experiences of life. In the Hebrew Bible, the statement of my flesh, from my flesh, is a statement of loyalty. It's about permanent relationship. The woman God has crafted to be man's helper is not just a transient servant. She's not there just to get the chores done for the man. No, this is an equal who's going to live in community with the man 
And she is God's assurance to the man that it's not good to be alone. The relationship men and women share, the union of their lives through marriage and companionship, it's meant to be a sign of God's fatherly care to all of us. God saw that it was not good for the man to be alone. And he shaped the creation of humanity to be good for humanity. A husband, then, is called not to see his wife as anything less than a gracious gift. The wife is the gracious gift of God's loving care in humanity. And so as we turn to our gospel this morning, we see that Jesus comes down with a hard line against divorce when the Pharisees ask him about it. And we should probably keep in mind a few cultural differences as we read this text. First, in the ancient world, couples did not court or date and then get married because they were in love. Right? Romance is not what drove marriage. In fact, such an idea is pretty modern, but such an idea in the ancient world would have been seen as foolish. It would have been immature. And that's not to say there wasn't love and romance and marriages in the ancient world, but it's not why a man and woman got married. Marriage was more about the relationship between families and society. Parents worked together to agree to the relationship and to make sure that there was going to be as much financial stability and benefit as possible for all parties. Remember, in this world, women could not own property. They did not have their own bank accounts. Their security was entirely dependent on the men in their lives. Fathers then arranged marriages for their daughters to make sure that they would be safe and as prosperous as possible. So normally then in this society, a woman could not ask for divorce. Usually only a man could initiate it. The wife then had no claim over any of the man's property. She had no claim over the children. And so women in this society were vulnerable. If a man divorced her, she had little means to take care of herself. She was left to fend for herself in a world where she could own no property, and she was not likely to be remarried to any man with any kind of character. And so we might begin to see, why does Jesus take such a hard line against divorce? Well, God had made women to be the true helper, the true companion of man. Eve was formed from Adam's rib. She was equal to him. And together they were to live life. Together they were to enjoy the presence of God. And now we see in the Gospels the Pharisees, as they try to test Jesus, they were treating both women and the natural goodness of marriage as something less than this. They went to the law of Moses and they found loopholes around marriage in order that they could benefit themselves. And the consequences of this for women was universally negative. Right, what God had designed as a gift for humanity had the Pharisees turned into something to manipulate for their own gains, their own passions. Right, they were getting divorced so that they could take another wife and in taking another wife, receive another dowry, make more social connections, gain in their social status. Right, they were manipulating the law. So Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees it's just that, that they're using a loophole in the law for their own gain, rather than recognizing God's good intentions for creation. God has given us marriage 
He has given us community. He has given us the many relationships in this world for our good. They are a gift. The life we live with others is a gift. And we want to receive these relationships as a gift from God. We want to preserve them and cherish them whenever and wherever we can. But it's also true that just about everyone here this morning has likely been touched with the pain and brokenness of divorce. In this world in which no relationship is ever perfect, there are times when the ideal gift of marriage is not sustainable, and couples find it necessary to separate. And we know from the Gospels, unequivocally, that Christ offers forgiveness, healing, reconciliation for those who find themselves touched by this pain. But it's precisely that pain that comes when relationships are severed, when marriages are broken, that speak to us about the very goodness of the thing. If you break a bone, it'll hurt. If you cut your skin, it'll hurt. And that pain, that hurt, that's a signal that something's not as it should be. And so there is pain in broken marriages. There's pain in severed relationships. And that pain tells us something's not right. Something is wrong. We're not in the state of health that God has designed for us. But there's healing and there's forgiveness through Christ for that pain. When we go back to Genesis 2.18, we remember what it says. It's not good for man to be alone. Well, this is the very beginning of the gospel, the very beginning of the new, good news that God has for us. Way back there in Genesis 2, we begin to see that God has a plan for fallen humanity. Because God himself has not left us alone. God has sent his son to us to take on our flesh in order that he might be fully united with us. If the Son of God has taken on flesh, it means that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's no pain, no, no brokenness, no sin, not even death can keep us from the love of God. Indeed, it's good for us not to be alone. So God promises us that he will always walk with us. In the mercy of God, you are not alone. You share communion with him. You are brought into the life of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you have identity in this community. As we read this hard gospel lesson this morning, we remember that marriage is good. Marriage is a sign of God's love for us. We ought to celebrate it. And we ought to encourage those who are married to persevere whenever it's possible. But in the same breath, we also remember that marriage does not complete who we are. Marriage is not our full identity, and marriage is not our eternal future. Rather, God is. Our communion with God is our eternal future. And so if you are married, if you're not married, if you've never been married, if you're divorced, no matter what your status is, your first identity is in God. We have been united to him through Christ as one people in one community. It is not good for us to be alone. And the good news is this, that God will not leave us alone. Amen.